0: Excuse And as you see that, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Uh, so far in our Christmas series, we've seen that Jesus took on true humanity in order to become both our neighbor and our high priest. And as our neighbor, we saw that Jesus loves us by drawing near, embracing the mess of our lives and bearing the intense cost of saving us and bringing us home. And then last Sunday as our high priest, we saw that it's Jesus' job to keep us and God together forever. And we saw that we can trust Jesus to do that with gentleness and kindness and mercy. Because as a true human, he can sympathize with our weaknesses and so give us mercy and grace to help in time of need. Uh, This morning we're going to add another layer to this. We're going to see that not only did Jesus come to be our neighbor and to be our high priest, We're also going to see that Jesus took on true humanity in order to become our last and perfect sacrifice for sin. Uh, So our passage this morning, Hebrews 10, which tells us about this, is dense. It is super dense. Uh, Some people have suggested that the book of Hebrews is a sermon. Uh, That may well be true. I'm kind of back and forth on it. It depends on what you ask me, if it's a sermon or not. But if it is a sermon— Uh, It is the most complicated and dense sermon I've ever read or seen in my life. Like, I realize I tend to be a fairly dense preacher. Uh, You all should thank God that the preacher in Hebrews was not your pastor. It would make no sense ever. Um, uh, And so I'm just saying that to forewarn you that I'm not even going to try and talk about everything in our passage. Instead, I just want to pull out just a few threads that I think will help us enter into the Christmas season with joy and with freedom. Uh, Because as we'll see, that's really fundamentally why Jesus becomes our sacrifice. He wants to free us and bring us into a joy-filled, peace-filled relationship with our triune God that we can carry around with us in our our daily lives. Uh, So the points are there on the wall. Let's read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, pray, and then we'll start reflecting on Jesus and our sacrifice. (coughs) Excuse me, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true forms of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not cease to have been offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. So I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said, Above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offering offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all, thus father the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's pray together. <coughs> father, thank you for this word which you have given to us. We know for our uh, instruction and for our edification, so that we can learn about Jesus and uh, what He has done for us and what He has given to us and how He wants us to live with Him in joy and freedom. And father, we we very much want to be transformed by this word, so we can know that freedom and joy but father we know that unless your spirit blesses your word to us we will not have these things and so father we ask humbly that through Your spirit you would give us ears to hear minds to understand and hearts to believe your word father may the words of my mouth is your preacher and may the meditation of all our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word may it all be pleasing now in your sight and we ask this in jesus name amen i told you it was dense um our passage starts off with the author talking about the shadow and the reality. And that's a, that's a big topic in Hebrews. But, but for this morning, though, it's helpful to know that shadow refers to the Old Covenant temple, priests, and sacrifices. And reality refers to the New Covenant temple, which is Jesus, the New Covenant priest, who is Jesus, and the New Covenant sacrifice, again, Jesus So, uh, as dense as Hebrews is, all the answers in Hebrews are your classic Sunday School answer, Jesus, right? Uh, It can be helpful to think of the term shadow as picture and reality as a person. So, having a photo of someone you love, that's great, right? That's why we take pictures and hang them up in our houses and put them as the wallpaper on our phones. Uh, Those pictures let us have something of our loved ones with us wherever we go, but... The picture is not the person. We'd always rather have the person rather than the picture. And so what the author means by shadow is that the old covenant was life lived with a picture of the incarnate Jesus. But the new covenant is life lived with the person of the incarnate Jesus. Now here's why that matters. Uh, In the old covenant with its sacrifices of bulls and goats, sin and guilt... Were never fully dealt with that's chapter 10 verse 1 for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year make perfect those who draw near and so what the author is saying is that under the old covenant there are all of these sacrifices that are offered over and over and over again, but those sacrifices do not perfectly deal with the heart of our problem, and they cannot deal with the heart of our problem because those sacrifices are not Jesus. But that raises the question, right? What is the problem that requires Jesus the reality to solve, but the pictures can't solve? What is it that these sacrifices are not able to deal with specifically? That's verses 2 through 3. Otherwise, would they not cease to have been offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. So the problem, you see, is that our problem is sin and the guilt that comes with sin. The author says. If bulls and goats had been enough to deal with sin and guilt, then the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. Now, uh, I think that consciousness is a bummer of a translation, uh, but oddly, most of our translations use it. The Greek word there isn't for consciousness, meaning to be awake or aware. The Greek word is for conscience, meaning the thing that makes you feel guilty when you sin and good when you obey. Uh, So here's what the author is saying. If the Old Covenant sacrifices had been more than just a picture of Jesus, they would have been able to free our conscience from fear and judgment. But they cannot do that. In fact, given that they are offered over and over and over again, what happens is God's people are simply reminded over and over and over again about their sins and their guilt and their condemnation. You see, without the right kind of sacrifice, we cannot live free, joy-filled lives with God. And I don't think that we can make too much of this point. I think this is central to so much of human experience and life here under the sun. A while ago, I was talking with a person who was looking back on their life. And they were filled. They were just filled with guilt and sadness and condemnation. Because this person, looking back on their life, realized that they had ruined most of their relationships because of their sins. And so as this person sat by uh, themselves day after day, all that was staring in in the face as they sat there lonely and alone was their moral failures. And with it, the resulting relational failures and guilt and shame and hopelessness and helplessness and uh, a complete and total sense of defeat. You see, this person lived with a continual reminder of their sins. And this person was talking to me because they wanted to know if I had any words of hope. Uh, Is there anything that I could say that would give them hope for reconciliation, hope for forgiveness hope for freedom is there any word that could bring joy and peace uh and so i have, i said yeah i have some words from jesus for you i mean praise god for gospel opportunities right I went on to talk about the gospel and christ and forgiveness and trusting jesus to make all things new even as you trust in him for redemption and salvation now i realize that that story is sort of an extreme example For us, But we all know what this person was feeling in some degree. All of us, all of us, no matter our age, can easily look back over our past weeks and months and we can clearly see times where we've sinned against God, we've sinned against each other, times we've hurt people we love. Uh, We can remember relationships that are broken because we broke them. Uh, Like the person I was talking about, we know what it means to live with consciousness of sin. We know what it means to have our conscience Constantly being aware of guilt and condemnation over and over again. We know the feeling of the shackles of condemnation and judgment. My friends, Jesus wants to free us from those chains. Jesus wants to free us from guilt. Jesus wants to give us hope that relational repair is possible with both God and each other. And Jesus wants to give us the joy that relational repair uh, through freedom of forgiveness and new life. That's how he wants to bring it to us. And that's why we read in verse 5, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings, our sacrifices and offerings, you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. So knowing that animal sacrifices could never do what Jesus could, just like we know that a picture can never talk to us or hold us or play with us like a person can. Jesus put on a human body at Christmas so that he could do what animal sacrifices could never do. Free us and bring us into joy. And, and here's how Jesus taking on a human body allows him to do that for us. First, it allows him to fully and totally Bear the justice that our sins deserve. You see, one of the issues with the picture of Jesus that was found in bulls and goats is that they are, surprisingly, not human. (laughs) We're human. And so for justice to really and totally be satisfied, a human being has to bear that cost in the place of other human beings so that we can truly be freed from justice. That doesn't mean, though, the sacrifices of bulls and goats were useless. I mean, they were very useful. They showed what the cost of sin was. Sin deserves death. They showed the severity of sin. That's why these sacrifices were repeated over and over again. And, of course, they showed the need for someone to die in our place if we're going to be forgiven and live with God and each other in peace and in freedom. But the sacrifices can actually take our place because they were not human beings. That's why verse 4 says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But it is not impossible for Jesus because of Christmas. Uh, Jesus took a human body so that he could die in our place, so that he could bear the cost of judgment that our sins deserve fully and totally, that is, completely and finally, once for all. Uh, but not only that. It's not only about dying for us. It's also about keeping the law for us, about being perfect in our place, about living in our place. And and this is as important to our freedom and joy as Jesus' death. Notice we read in verse 7, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So Jesus says, I have come to be the one Who will do everything the Father justly requires of human beings? I will be the one who will be perfectly loyal to the Father. Uh, I will be the one who will perfectly love my neighbor as myself. I will be the one who will keep all the commandments perfectly from the moment of my implanting in Mary's womb all the way through my crucifixion and death. I, Jesus says, will fulfill humanity's requirement. To love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor as myself, so that through my obedience and my death, I will be able to free my people from guilt and shame and lead them into the joy of new life and hope. So that when my people repent and believe in me, I will give them my death, I will give them my life, and I will free them from guilt, and they will know that I am with them forever." Now, maybe you're thinking, why do I need both things? Well, I have an analogy that I use in our profession of faith class that I think is helpful in explaining why Jesus has to give us both. So, imagine adults, kids are going to be sad about this because they're on break, but imagine you're back in school, and I give you a test, and you take the test, and you hand it back to me, and all the answers are wrong what grade do you get? You get an F, right? Total failure. (laughs) Now, what if I, as the teacher, what if I erased all of the wrong answers, and then I give you back the test? What grade do you get? At best, you get an incomplete, because your test is blank. Jesus' death is the equivalent of erasing all of our bad answers. By taking on a human body and dying for us, Jesus effectively wipes out all of our sins and guilt. He cleanses us from them. He frees us from God's judgment. But if that's all Jesus did, you and I would still be in a terrible spot, probably a worse spot. I mean, imagine if that really happened. You fail the test, the teacher erases all the wrong answers, gives it back to you, and then says, do it again. You are going to be defeated, broken down, because you already were a total failure. You know you don't know anything. You're going to take the test again. You're going to fail it again. And if he does it again, you're going to fail it again. You're going to be in so much trouble, emotional trouble, spiritual trouble, mental trouble. You'll be destroyed by this. But now imagine instead the teacher erasing all the wrong answers and putting down all the correct ones and handing them back to you. Now what grade do you get? A plus, right? 100%. Everything's perfect. That is why it is so important that Jesus lived perfectly, a perfectly obedient life as a human. Uh, we don't need, just need, and get his death. We also need and get his life. And Jesus gives us both of them so that we can be free from the condemnation of our consciences So that when we feel guilt for past sins, we can respond, Jesus has died for me. He has wiped that clean. Jesus has borne the cost for me. Jesus has lived for me. I am free from judgment. I don't need to live in in guilt. No, I can live in hope because Jesus has come to give his own life for me as a gift. And then to present his own perfect life in my place to the Father. So that's one reason. That's just one reason why Jesus took on a body so that he could, uh, so he could free you and give you hope, so he could live for you and die for you. Uh, here's a second reason. And by the way, this is not exhaustive of the reasons Jesus took on a human body. But here's a second reason for, for today. He took on a body so that he could actually transform the way that we live. So verses 5 through 7 are a riff on uh, Psalm forty six through 8. Psalm 40 is about how the psalmist knows that what God desires more than sacrifice for sin is obedience. Because obedience, living according to God's word, is what brings the joys of the kingdom into our everyday life. Uh, So think about the obedience of peacemaking. Think about the obedience of forgiveness, the obedience of generosity, the obedience of sacrificial hospitality, the obedience of prayer, the obedience of worship, of speaking words that are seasoned with the words of the the Bible. Think about how much better a word spoken in gentleness is, in conformity to the commands of Jesus, than a word spoken in anger. Uh, and you'll realize why the Lord's ob- love Lord loves obedience so much more than sacrifices for sin. It is when we live according to God's word that the joys of the kingdom come in this sort of fullness and this in this experiential way that makes us go, "Oh man, I just love being with Christians uh because they 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 are just so kind, just like God calls them to be that's that's part of the the joy that Jesus wants to bring in, but the problem with bulls and goats is they cannot produce that obedience in us, they cannot transform us into the image uh, of Jesus. There were pictures of that transformation in the old covenant worshippers would eat those sacrifices. In part, as a picture of God's promise to change them and to mature them and grow them. But by themselves, those sacrifices could not produce moral renovation and spiritual change in God's people. But Jesus, our great high priest, who sympathizes with our weaknesses, who became our neighbor in order to love us, he absolutely can. And that's why we read in verse 10, and by that will, that will is Jesus' desire to come and be our sacrifice, we have been sanctified, that is, brought into a communion with God through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Uh, to be sanctified in Hebrews means to be drawn into a transforming relationship with God. Sanctification is not a word that describes um moral perfection it's a word that describes a moral relationship that's very important for us we tend to think of sanctification sanctified as like well that means that i just don't sin but we're thinking of ourselves abstracted from god and each other in the bible sanctification being sanctified means you are drawn into a morally perfect relationship with god himself You are brought into a relationship with Jesus that is marked by love and righteousness and goodness and kindness. And to be sanctified means to be in that relationship. And to grow in sanctification means to live more and more into the kind of relationship that God himself has with us. We become more kind and more loving and more generous and more grateful and more uh, enthusiastically welcoming, more hospitable, more righteous, more truthful, more good because we are in a relationship with God who is all those things and who relates to creation in that way. Holiness describes, sanctification describes God's relationship with the world. Again, it's a very dense book, but that's what it means. This is very important. And so what the author is saying here is, because Jesus came to do the Father's will, because Jesus took on a true human body in order to become our sacrifice, we have been sanctified once for all. We have been drawn into a transforming relationship within God himself, into the relationship that exists between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've been brought into that by God's own kindness and mercy. We are forgiven totally and fully, and we are drawn into the very life of God himself, which transforms us more and more into the people who live like Jesus does himself in the world. So not only are we freed from guilt and shame, we are brought into a relationship that turns us more and more into a people who produce joy and peace and kindness and goodness because we live with the God puts those things into the world by His Spirit and by us, His people. And so I want to close on this note. Um, I found over the years that the holidays are a time of great joy, especially if you're a kid. Uh, But they can also be times of sort of great sorrow and great anxiety. Uh, Personally, I find that holidays for me are times when, for whatever reason, sort of past failures and sins, they can come back to haunt the conscience Maybe that's your experience too. Uh, If it is or if it isn't, I want to make sure that you leave here knowing that Jesus wants you to be free from condemnation and guilt. Uh, He wants us to have joy that we live with Him in the transforming presence of His Son. Uh, He wants you to respond to the words of your heart that bring up past uh, sins. I am forgiven. And Jesus can make it better. And he can trans- And He is transforming me into a different person. And he does not reject me. He loves me. He frees me. He walks with me. I am his and he is mine. I want you to respond that way. I want you to go to sleep confident that because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are forever, once and for all, finally and fully forgiven and cleansed. I want you to sit down with your family and friends in the confidence that his death, in his life and his a presence is also sufficient for them. And that he desires their forgiveness and joy too. And so whatever kind of hopelessness you may feel in certain family relationships, Jesus is not hopeless. Don't be hopeless. Have, have trust. Jesus took on a human body because he wants to free people from sin, judgment, and guilt. He wants to transform us and bring us into a relationship with him. Jesus wants us to live as those who know that he is working in us, transforming us, forgiving us, freeing us, drawing near to us. Jesus wants us to be confident, you see, that he is our sacrifice, that he is our high priest, and that he is our neighbor. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that our Lord Jesus came to bring us freedom and life by taking on a true human body so that uh, he could live in our place and die in our place and, and so secure our forgiveness from justice and give us the unbreakable hope of heaven while at the same time transforming us from glory to glory through the presence of his spirit by drawing us into our relationship with him. Father, please help us to live as those who know that we are free because of Jesus so that By our transformed lives of joy and love, the world around us will get to experience through us the power of the gospel, even as we ourselves experience our own growth in it. Uh, Father, we ask as well that as the world sees the presence of Christ in us, that they would ask us why our lives are different. And then we ask too that you would help us to bear witness to the gospel of Christ so that they can join us in the freedom and joy that are ours through him who took on a human body uh, to bring us to himself.